the mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. When God made the first home, the garden, it wasn't just a place of practicality with, you know, efficient storage spaces and sensible walkthrough traffic patterns. It was a place of beauty. He used all the best colors and patterns, and he put all his favorite things there. And I don't know about you, but when I contemplate designing my home, repainting a room or updating my throw pillows, using new colors and textures, I can sometimes feel a sense of self-reproach as if I'm being careless with my money and, and time that maybe could be spent on more important things. I have to remind myself that beauty was God's idea. If he didn't find it wasteful or frivolous to make that first home pretty, I shouldn't feel that way about decorating the home he's given me. So today, Kate and I are going to chat about ways we can turn a sterile, uninspiring house into a cozy home. September isn't able to be with us today, so instead, we're joined by Marion Parsons, a fellow Minnesota mama just like me. You might know her online better as Miss Mustard Seed. Marion is a pastor's wife, mother of two boys, paint enthusiast, and lover of all things home. She's recently released a book entitled Feels Like Home, Transforming Your Space from Uninspiring to Uniquely Yours. And she's here to specifically give hope to those of us who are chronically hesitant decorators who might want to transform our spaces but aren't sure where to start. Welcome to the show, Marion. Great. Thank you for having me, Jamie. What an introduction. Well, we are thrilled you are here with us. I'm excited personally to lob to you all my my hard questions because decorating, I'm going to be honest, is just isn't my gift. Yeah. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. First of all, I have to know the backstory of Miss Mustard Seed. Where did that moniker come from? Right. Well, this crowd will know that it's a biblical reference. I often get asked that and um, I'll get like, are you into like spices or is it like a health food store or something? And I'll say, no, it's a biblical reference. And it came out of a very late night of trying to find a business name. And I was starting a business when I had no business starting a business. I had like a four month old and an almost two year old. I had no money to start a business. I had no experience. I was intimidated about all the things like taxes and insurance and all of that. But I really felt like it was the right thing to do. And it was a way I could work and bring in money. As you said, my husband was a pastor, which you don't become a pastor if you're if you you want to make a ton of money. And so I needed to add a little bit to our income. And so I started this business and it was just a huge step of faith. And I wanted to always remember that it was a step of faith and that any blessings that came from it were from God. And it wasn't, you know, just because of my hard work or my talent or whatever it was, it was God's blessing on it. So it was a step of faith. And so I named my business mustard seed interiors and 
that domain was not available. So my brother actually suggested getting the name, um, the domain Miss Mustard Seed. So I never planned on that being like my handle or anything. It was just the website, but that's how it worked out. And, um, and it was just meant to be. And I think our listeners are used to, you know, mamas with a side hustle. We're, we're really adept at that, I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's common now. A lot of people are doing it. Well, you know, Marion, years ago, when your family was moving to Minnesota, you were looking for a hundred-year-old farmhouse with lots of character, and instead your family bought a cookie-cutter suburban home. Now, I'm sure there are many moms listening who can relate at least in some part to that story of how your expectations didn't quite match up to your reality. So can you give us some hope? (laughs) Maybe the cliff notes of how you have transformed your home, because I have seen your Instagram feed and your house looks anything but cookie cutter. Yeah. Well, when we moved, it was a, I saw it as an opportunity to, to get that hundred year old farmhouse that I had dreamed of living in. As I shared with you beforehand, we moved from Pennsylvania. And so of course there are all these beautiful stone farmhouses and old little towns there. Minnesota is a little bit newer when it comes to homes and that sort of thing. So I just wasn't really finding what I was looking for specifically in my budget and also in the location that was good for my kid's school and my husband's work. And I think that that's a really common thing that you have this idea of what you want, and then it's not in the right school district. It's not in your budget. It, you have to whittle down your your wish list to things that really your family needs, because ultimately everybody lives in the house. It's not just about the aesthetics or what you want. It's about what's really going to be best for the family. So we ended up in this suburban home, 13 years old, but we were in a neighborhood, which was great. We were less than a mile away from my kid's school and 15 minutes from our church. So it had room for my business. It had everything we needed. It just wasn't old. And I think that that story is one that's so common for people that it became a great one to share on my blog, as well as then in the book. That's really where the book came out of is dealing with sort of that dissonance between what you want and then what you actually can get, and then how you can make the most of whatever home it is you end up in, whether it's a rented apartment, whether it's, you know, a townhouse, a new house, an old house. If it's not quite what you wanted, it's not quite your dream house, then maybe you can make it a bit more like that. Mm. And September likes to say, you know, you can't always change your circumstances, but you can change your perspective. And I can imagine, you know, when you move into a cookie cutter house, you could say to yourself, this is really like a blank canvas. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. really a personality yet. So I can make it whatever personality I choose to. Yes, that was exactly what I was looking for. I was like, if I can't get an old house, I would like to find a home that has some bones that I can work with. And that's a relatively clean slate. And that is what we ended up with a very beige house, but it does have a traditional floor plan and it has a lot of really beautiful design features. So it ended up working nicely with my style, even though it wasn't what I was looking for. You know, I think like September, you can't change your circumstances, but you can change your surroundings. You can make what's around you look prettier and feel more homey or more your style. So I think that's something we can all do. In theory. I mean, there are those of us like me who fall into the, what I like to say, design challenge category. You know, I have all (laughs) kinds of great intentions, but my execution sometimes falls flat. What are 
a few go-to tips for taking a home from maybe just fine to fantastic for, you know, be, be gentle for those of us who (laughs) don't have that gift. Well, I would like to speak to that first because I do have a lot of people who say, oh, I'm just not creative or I'm just not good at decorating. And I think that that's based on this idea that there's one kind of look or way to decorate. And if you're not doing it that way, then somehow like you're less than, or you're doing it wrong. And there's really no right way to create. There's no right way to make your home feel like your home, like what feels like home to you. That's going to look different for everybody. So I think, um, you know, magazines, books, certainly social media perpetuates this idea of this is what a beautiful home looks like. This is what's in, this is what's out. This is what's good style. This is what's not. And I think that puts people in this unfair position where they feel like they're fighting a losing battle or they're not good enough. So I would just encourage you to change your mindset on that, that maybe you're not creating a home that's like the ones that you see in books or magazines or on social media, but you're creating a home that feels like home for you and your family. And that's what's important, not about it being photogenic. But some tips I would give to people, I think we're a couple of places where people get stuck is first of all, just knowing what their style is. And again, I think having all these style quizzes and, and labels for styles can immediately make you feel like maybe you don't fit in one of those boxes or, Mm. um, well, I like this style, but I think maybe this is what I have more of in my house. So it can be a little confusing. And I think that style is something that doesn't necessarily have the specific label. It's so unique to each individual person. So what I suggest doing is creating a living mood board. So instead of creating like a board on Pinterest or clipping photos out of a magazine that are of homes that aren't yours with things that you don't have. Um, Instead, you gather your favorite things from your house. And it doesn't have to be decorative items. It can be clothing or books or papers or your favorite pen or your things that you love to cook with, things you've inherited, photos that you love, fabrics you love, whatever it is. Just gather it all together and put it on the floor or on the table And if you can let it sit there for a few days and just observe it, what do you see? What do you notice about the things that you love most? Um, And if you can't do that, then take some pictures of it. And again, just observe those pictures. And what do you see? What, what's the color palette? What is in common with the things that you've collected? And I think that that can give you a visual idea of what your style is more than, trying to take a style quiz or, you know, look at other homes on Pinterest, because you're actually working with things that you have at one point bought and you've kept and you've used and you love. I think that says a lot more about your style than, than anything else. Hmm. That's a good point. I feel like women get sucked in by the current, by the trendy, especially, you know, in our social media saturated world. But I tend to be a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to trendy design elements. Maybe I'm just that much of a um, stubborn mule. I don't know. (laughs) I was just chatting with a friend who's renovating a Tudor style house. And to the best of her budget, she liked to make the interior reflect that historic style Mm. while also having some modern flair and, and flourishes. 
she was saying that she's debating on putting in some forest green kitchen cabinets because that color is really hot right now. But I'm kind of a cautious Karen. And I, and I told her that while I think that's really great, it sort of reminds me of like the avocado green couches and the, the orange kitchens of the seventies, the teal maroon things of the nineties. They were cute then, but they look really dated now. So where would you say a woman can get trendy in her design and maybe follow some of those social media trends and maybe where she should stay a little bit more neutral and classic. So I think on the big things like kitchen cabinets, that's a great place to stay classic unless you want it. So I talk about this in the book, unless you want that to be like your statement piece, that's the wow factor of the kitchen or the living room or whatever. And I, I think that it can work and can work beautifully Forest green cabinets can actually be very classic. It doesn't necessarily have to be trendy. It's so much on how it's used and what's around it and how it's all put together. A great exercise if you're worried about something being trendy, especially something that's a bigger time or money investment like kitchen cabinets, go look at magazines and books from 20 to 40 years ago, decorating magazines and books. And what do you see? Do you see green cabinets there? Of course, they're going to look very, you know, 80s or 90s. But can you see that style carrying over into this decade and beyond? And that can give you a really good idea of things that are classic and that can continue to evolve based on how they're decorated. I think and it can give you a bit more confidence in not being too worried about trends because Colors can be trendy, but again, it's more about how they're put together. If you see mauve and powder blue with teddy bears and, you know, wallpaper borders and baskets, like you immediately know I'm in, I'm in the nineties, but you can use powder blue and mauve in a way that looks contemporary and modern. And it just by changing the kind of decor that you're using, where those colors are used, what they're paired with. So I I wouldn't be too worried about that. But if you do want to get trendy, the great place to do that is in accessories so that they're inexpensive, they're easy to change out. And when you get tired of them, it's an easy thing to just, you know, take to the local charity shop or have a yard sale and get rid of it. Um, Things that are more permanent in the home, uh, especially a historic home, I would be a little bit more cautious about getting too trendy with that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about accessories. It reminds me of my mother-in-law told me years ago, and she used to be a color draper for fashion. And she kind of said the same thing as it relates to fashion, like make your basics, your foundational pieces, very classic and, and let your trendy, your sort of current flash in the pan things be your accessories because they're not as expensive. They're easy to replace and you can mix and match as things go out of style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even things like rugs today, they're getting so inexpensive. There's there's a company that does washable rugs. I mean, you can literally change them out almost every season. You know, it used to be you'd spend a couple thousand dollars on a really nice wool rug. Well, today for a couple hundred dollars, you, I see so many cute things like that, you know, that are easy to switch out and not cost an arm and a leg. So, well, what about for those of us who are minimalists? You know, I love the look of those Instagrammable rooms. They're so beautiful, but the thought of cleaning upkeep, dusting, and managing some of those rooms just makes me shiver. (laughs) So is there a way to have my cake and eat it too? 
Well, I think one thing to remember about rooms that are on Instagram is you really are just seeing a picture of them. And in some cases, Mm -hmm. you are seeing a picture of someone's real life. But in many cases, you're seeing something that's been styled specifically for a photo. It used to be years ago, blogs and, and Instagram when it first started really was just about a snapshot of a normal person's life. And now it's much more a professional business. It's much more like looking at a magazine that's been styled specifically for that shot. A plant is there that could never live there because there's not enough light. The you know table is set in a way that it's not set every day. So I think you have to go to social media with that understanding that you're seeing something that's highly curated and also that's oftentimes mm-hmm. edited and has filters on it and everything. So use it as a way to get some inspiration, but it should never make you feel like that's what your space has to look like, or it should never make you feel bad about your own space. And I think it should never, just like with a magazine, it should never push you towards a decorating style that's not yours. So if you look at a space and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so cluttered. I would never want to clean all of that. Then don't, decorate that way, decorate in a way that suits a more minimalist style. And, and I would even suggest following accounts on Instagram and social media and buying magazines that speak more to that minimalist style. Cause then it's going to, I think it's going to feed your creative soul a little bit more than rooms that you look at and say like, Oh, I don't even know how to keep that clean. And you don't feel like you're doing enough. So curate your feed so that it really inspires you and encourages you. And if it's not doing that, then mute it, unfollow, (laughs) go in a new direction. (laughs) Because the truth is, you said, is there a way I can have my cake and eat it too? If you have a lot of stuff, you are going to have to clean a lot of stuff. And if you have a lot of stuff, you have to organize it, you have to manage it. So, you know, Stuff can be great, but it can be a problem in and of itself. So I think everyone has their sort of stuff threshold of how much, mm-hmm. how much they can have before <laughs> it is, feels out of control. So I think you just have to know what that is and then be okay if other people's threshold is different from yours. I like that. Your stuff threshold. <laughs> My <laughs> husband's is different from mine. He is very yeah. minimalist. I'm not quite as much, but you know, we see that curated thing all over Instagram. I mean, I think everything is curated on there just about. I know I do a lot of cooking and, and food shots and I curate that. I make it look way better than probably it really was. But, you know, I guess we just want to appear a little more cool or talented or artistic than we really are. But yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a little bit like having a guest over. You're mm-hmm. going to fluff the pillows. You're going to throw the, you know, the, <laughs> the, clothes or whatever in the (laughs) closet, like you're going to do this tidying up so that the public spaces that they're seeing are nice and clean. You might run the vacuum, you're going to do the dishes, all of that. And I think that when you're taking pictures for social media, it's the same kind of thing. You don't want to be like, well, here's my house with like, you know, water glasses sitting everywhere and the coats hanging over the chair and my stack of mail. You want to take a minute and tidy that up so that, mm-hmm. you know, because you're inviting people into your home through the medium of social media. And so I see it that way, but it it has gone to this incredibly professional level where it really is more akin to a magazine. And I think that that's it's a whole other conversation to talk yeah. about how social media is affecting how people feel about their home and themselves and their creative gifts and, and all of that. 
Yeah, it's definitely a conversation worth having. Um, maybe not today, but I would just add, you know, Mama, if you're listening and you feel the the pressure of creating a home that is sort of out of reach for your budget or just your capacity to design, you have a right to say no. You have a right to pick your mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. on Instagram and Facebook and and just like Marion was saying, unsubscribe, unfollow, maybe just for a season. We've talked about that before on the podcast, maybe just for this time. It's just better to mute some voices and you're allowed to do that. Yeah. As women, you and I were made to give life and we can do that right in our own homes. Our homes can give others a real picture of the gospel. When they step into our doors, our family, our friends and neighbors see our deep raw needs and our ugliness, but they can also see the love of Christ lived out in the midst of all of our brokenness. When we invite others in, it's an opportunity to point the homeless ones to a true and lasting home, Jesus. In my new book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow, I've united a popular Danish lifestyle practice with the deep theological truths of the gospel in order to show you how Huga can be a companion for making a home where, as Acts 17.27 says, people can feel their way to God and find him. Now, admittedly, Huga is a funny word. Perhaps that's because we don't have any English translation for it. It has ties to comfort and consolation. It's a way of making the mundane and necessary meaningful and beautiful. It's soul rest. Huga appeals to our desire for slow living and shared moments. It embraces relationships and hospitality, so it's warm and it's inviting. Huga is the opposite of hustle. It eschews overabundance. It's a way of making home. The world is ripe for the comfort of real sanctuary. And while reshaping an atmosphere can never permanently reshape a heart, it can help, especially when paired with the hope of Jesus. Before God made humanity, he made a home for them. He built a sacred place. And now you and I can do the same. Pre-order Holy Huga today wherever books are sold and let me show you how to nurture a home that reflects the one whose spirit is making a home in you. Well, how do you involve your kids? This is the Mom to Mom podcast, so we're all moms here. And and I know that I want my kids to feel like this is their home. I want them to be able to decorate and create a space that is uniquely theirs. But how do I manage that desire with setting limits so that I don't end up with, you know, like a lime green bedroom wall or, you know, something painted that cannot be repainted or whatever? Tell a mom how we can set some limits while still inviting our kids into creating spaces. Yeah, I think especially with their room, it's so important to let them have a say in it as they get older. I mean, when they're when you ask a two-year-old what they want in their room, it's going to be a different answer every time you ask them, which I've tried that. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick something. But as they've gotten older, so my boys are in eighth and ninth grade now. So they have opinions about what they want in their rooms. And what I suggest doing with kids is to ask them what they want 
ask them to look at some inspiration photos. It's great to like go to Pinterest or something and say like, what do you just, we can play with smaller kids. You can play like a hot and cold game. Like is, am I getting warmer with this picture? Is this colder? Do you like it more or less? Um, So you can kind of turn it into a game and they can learn a little bit about what they like, what they're drawn to. You can also do that exercise with them where you have them gather their favorite things. Of course, with kids, you're going to get this like cornucopia of toys and all sorts of things, but then it's, it'll be fun to talk about, well, why do you like these things? And then how can you incorporate those things that they like into their room with some boundaries? So like with my boys, I said, we can paint your walls, any color, what colors would you like to look at? And so then they'll give me like, well, a dark blue, or I want to look at red or this, and then I'll go to the paint deck and pick out dark blues that I know are going to look good in a room and then give them several dark blues to choose from. So they're still getting to pick, they're still getting to, you know, steer the ship, but I'm giving them some parameters and some borders about what we are and aren't going to do. So you don't want to just give a kid a paint deck and say, pick a color because you might end up with like caution cone orange on the walls. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're sort of curating a choice for them. You're still giving them a choice, but you're giving them options that have sort of been curated to set the tone and the mood of the house and maybe even just budget too. It could be something as simple as that. Like their dreams and aspirations for what their room would look like are far outside of your budget. So sort of honing in on a few choices. Yes. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Definitely. Yeah. Cause that's what a designer does. If you work with a professional designer, they're not going to say, okay, what do you want? Let's just do what you want. They're going to basically interview you and, and look at the things that you already have that you love, try to get a feel for your style. And then they're going to give you some options. They're going to say, okay, here's, here's one mood board. Here's another mood board. We can swap out this color. We can swap out these pieces. And so basically you're acting as a designer for your child and your children by giving them some options based on their style and what they want. And with both of my boys, so it's really, it's a good example because I love antiques and they don't, they like things that are modern. One of my sons loves like mid-century style. So I had to work as a designer and go outside of my own style and what I would pick and pick things that are going to be well-suited for him. So I took to Craigslist and waited till I found a good solid wood mid-century dresser for $50. And I had him make the final choice. Do you like this dresser? Does this fit your style and all? And he said, yep. So then we got it. So yeah, I think that curating, it, it helps you end up in a good place so that, yeah, the budget's respected, boundaries are respected, but yet the, the kid is getting to have a, a room that really feels like them where they can express their own style. And I think another thing to remember as a mom is to, when in doubt, always lean towards relationship. Like, don't let a paint color be the hill that you die on, because even if they do choose the lime green wall in five years, when they change their mind, it can be repainted. I love that. And I actually wrote that almost that exact thing in the part of the book when I talk about working on kids' bedrooms, that it's always about the memories and about the relationship and decorating should just never get in the way of that. If their memory of mom is someone who was like overbearing and wouldn't let them do, you know, have the room the way they want, like that's going to 
you know, that's going to leave an impression on them. But by allowing them to express their personal style within boundaries, I think is, um, it just creates wonderful memories for your kids. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage that. And yeah, it's just paint. It can be repainted. Even if it's a really, it's a color you just don't like, like that's okay. You can repaint it. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So what would you say to the skeptic like me of 10 years ago, who saw home decorating as really a privileged and extravagant waste of time and money? It's such an interesting question because I do think that, especially in the Christian community, it can be easy to look at decorating as something that's materialistic. And I know when I first started in the decorative painting and mural business, I remember sort of feeling that way. My husband was a youth pastor, so we worked in youth ministry at the time. And I was like, okay, so this is my ministry world. And then this is home decorating over here. And this is my business world and my blog and where I talk about decorating and they're separate and I want to keep them separate. And it's funny, whenever you try to like build a fence around something and say like, God's not really here. Like, I want you to bless it, but this isn't really about Christian stuff. He's going to like get in there, but he's there anyway, but he's going to make himself very evident there. And that's exactly what happened that I started getting emails from people. I wasn't even like overtly talking about anything biblical or Christian or anything, but I would get emails saying like, I was up in the middle of the night thinking about God and I just felt like I should email you and ask if you can tell me more about God. And it's just like, what in the world? I just wrote a post about like painting a dresser from a thrift store. Like, where did this come from? And stuff like that kept happening. And God was just showing me that this was about more than just decorating. It was about creativity, creating, you know, we're made in God's image and he is the ultimate creator. We were made to be creative. And like you said, in the beginning, We were made to appreciate beauty. And I started to really dig into that and look at Proverbs more and look at the Bible for more of that, you know, the hardworking woman creating beautiful things for her family and seeing like, this can be selfish. It can be materialistic. It can be a waste, definitely. But It is also something that is that God put in us to want to create however it is that we create, whether it's in mathematics or writing or decorating or art or music, whatever it is, God put that in us and he finds pleasure in beautiful things. And so I think we have to be guarded that it doesn't become that materialistic kind of selfish thing. It's just like you have to guard against that with anything. Anything can become that if it's taken to an extreme. Yeah. And I would say too, decorating isn't something that has to be extravagant. And as I was thinking about this question, a memory came to mind of when I was a child and we would play in these evergreen trees that had these huge boughs that would start up high and then would go and touch the ground. So they created almost like this yurt And we would go into this and create a little house in there and we would make brooms out of branches. And then we would make little decorations out of leaves and sticks and everything. No money spent at all, but there was just this desire as small children to nest and to create this little cozy place to play and to take our dolls and to play um, imaginative games and all of that. And so 
I think that that's something that's in us, no matter what our, our budget is. That's what I would say. I would say it's not just something that has to be extravagant, materialistic or selfish. Definitely. Okay. So you've just opened up a huge can of worms for me and I don't know that we have (laughs) enough time to unpack it all, but I'm currently working on a book that encourages women to use our homes to bring life and light to the world, to nurture a home that invites people in so that they can step in and meet Jesus. So for the Christian mom, how does design, and you've touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can peel it back a little bit more. For the Christian mom, how does design play into kingdom work of our home? Mm. Well, I think obviously hospitality is a big one, having people coming over to your home. And I think when you're really into decorating as I am, it's easy to think that that's what matters most, how the house looks. And I think a lot of people feel that way when they have people over to their house, projects need to be finished. Everything needs to be clean and neat. And, and if it's not then, or if there are things about the house that we don't like, we apologize for it. And I realized years ago, and I wrote about this in the book as well, that I was apologizing for my home and just what a horrible testimony that is like, welcome to this beautiful home that I'm blessed with. And let me point out all of the flaws and apologize for it. And I realized that in doing that, not only am I letting the guest know here, let me set my expectations for you and then show you how I'm, my house is not measuring up, but I'm also judging their homes and what might fall short of my expectations. Mm -hmm. And then I'm setting up this thing where, and I've actually had people say to me before, they don't want to have me over because my home is so beautiful and they, their home is not. And so Mm. it, it set up this really, I like, I was so sad to hear that. I'm like, oh my gosh, just because I write about homes and decorating doesn't mean that I'm going to walk into your home and, and judge it. So I think that a part of welcoming people into your home is to just as we do with who we are as people to let people come into those spaces without judging ourselves too harshly, not judging them and to experience being together in this space. I think that's, what's really important. Not like how nice the sofa is you're sitting on or how the furniture is arranged. And, and I actually do address that in the book because when you're talking about those things that are superficial, it can start to feel like, well, this is what's most important, but in the end it's Mm. what does the home feel like? There are a lot of beautiful, beautiful homes out there that are unwelcoming, that are hostile, that are full of hurt and sadness. And there are also a lot of homes that are very, very basic and are just filled with love and grace and peace. Mm -hmm. And that is what makes a home, not what the furniture is. So I think you want to invite people into that. And I think to speak to your thought on apologizing, because I think women do that, you know, even if our home is immaculate and perfectly decorated, we, right. we are prone to say, oh, I'm really sorry that da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I think in addition to the things that you've mentioned, we're also negating the giver of good gifts. You know, we're saying that it's not mm-hmm. good enough. What he has provided needs to be apologized for. And that's certainly not the testimony that we want to start with as we're inviting the world into our home. Mm-hmm. I think too, sort of piggybacking on what you said, 
and, and this is something that I've had to learn because like I said, design has never been my strong suit. And I can, I can sort of be in that camp of, oh, this money could be spent on something, you know, much more important or, you know, sent to an orphanage in Africa or whatever. I can think of a lengthy list of things that this money should be spent on <laughs> more, but in some ways as homemakers and as women, you know, we're all making home. God was the first homemaker. Let's not forget that. As we're making our homes, it should reflect the haven of kingdom work. You know, we're making a sanctuary, a haven, a sort of um, mm. safe place amidst a very tumultuous world for people to step in and feel the touch of Christ. And not to say that it has to be decorated, you know, and Pinterest worthy, but that that there's some care taken to make very inviting, welcoming, pretty, because, you know, the garden was pretty, some pretty spaces that make people feel at ease and Mm -hmm. make them feel the comfort of Christ. And sometimes that's just something aesthetic that makes you feel that way. Something in your outer life that can have an effect on your inner life. Yeah. I have a really good example of that if I have time to share. Um, so we, I grew up as a military brat and we lived in army housing in Germany. So it was mm-hmm. very basic apartments. It was 900 square feet. One of the, the apartment that we were in the longest, mm-hmm. which was four years. And my mom did all sorts of things to that apartment. She did butcher block contact paper on these OD green countertops. She starched fabric to this metal partition in the bathroom. She made sure that the home was really set up beautifully. And she didn't do that because the apartment Mm. mattered because it didn't, it was a 900 square foot, like lower than a rental because we didn't even get to pick it out. It was just assigned to us. But she did it because we mattered, because her family mattered, and because she wanted us to know while we're being dragged all over the world by the military, she wanted us to know that that was home for that season. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important, whether you're renting, like no matter what your situation is, like that's an act of love for your family to show them okay, maybe this house isn't what we want it to be. Maybe we're in this tiny apartment and this is the best we can afford, Mm -hmm. but this is our home for the season and the people who live here matter. So we're going to treat this space like that for the people, not for the, it's not about the physical space or the things in it. Yeah. Great advice. And I think too, we just have to avoid the comparison trap. You know, so many women, that's one of the hardest things about social media, because you go on there and start seeing all these things Mm -hmm. or, you know, the cool things people are doing and think, gosh, I just don't measure up. And that's just a trap of the enemy. You know, I think for moms and for women, we have to just really stop doing that, you know, and if it means turning off social media for a season, I think that's perfectly fine to do, you know, to not let that because that can make you miserable, you know, in so many areas, if we just start looking at what other people have. It's coveting, really, you know, that's we got to be careful about that. So yeah, I think social media has brought a whole new challenge in that before, exactly. like to see other people's homes, you had to be invited in or you went to, to a parade of homes and then you'd see all the latest gadgets they were installing in homes. Right. And and that was fun to do, but it would just be for like a day. And now we're just 
bombarded with it constantly in the palm of our hand. We're seeing other people's lives, Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Well, we're seeing a very curated version of somebody's life. It's an interesting problem right now, but definitely, you know, just you don't need social media if it makes you feel bad about yourself. And definitely, as you were saying, I would suggest muting people or unfollowing if it's not, if it's not bringing you any joy or encouragement, Mm -hmm. there are so many people to follow who will do that, who are encouraging and share inspiring things. There's so many wonderful podcasts to listen to that are enriching and that focus on the things that really matter. And so curate what's coming in to be those things, things that are good and lovely and all of that. Yeah. Such good advice. Well, Marion, where can I listeners grab your book and find you online? So you can purchase Feels Like Home anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, all of those places. And then they can find me online just by Googling Miss Mustard Seed. My website is MissMustardSeed.com. I'm at Miss Mustard Seed on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube and Facebook and pretty much, you know, any anywhere we're all hanging out, you'll find me there. <laughs> Wonderful. And she's definitely an account worth worth um, listening to definitely not one you want to mute because it is not just a pretty picture. It's also just encouragement Mm -hmm. and sincere thoughts from a mom who's, you know, in the trenches, just like us. And I find a lot of the things you put up are things anybody can do. And I can't do the painting and stuff like that, that you do, but so many of your tips and ideas I can do. And I'm, you know, I'm great at cooking. I'm not so great at decorating. So you know, when I find somebody that I can actually follow and create some of those things, that encourages me. So definitely follow Marion or Miss Mustard Seed on Instagram and everywhere, everywhere she is. Thank you. And I love hearing that. That's that's my goal is I just want it to be encouraging. And, you know, there I actually had someone say, you know, you're always doing projects and all this stuff. And I had to mute you because it's making me feel like I'm not doing enough. And you know, good for you. Good for her for doing that. Like if that's what an account does for you, then, you know, then that's okay. Take, take a break and go listen to somebody else. But yes, I try to offer a lot of encouragement and a lot of, you know, doable projects. Well, everyone wants to feel at home in their home. For some of us, nothing can be further from the truth. Our homes are sterile, uninspiring, or on the flip side, cluttered and overwhelming. The good news is transformation can often happen with just a few tweaks here and there. Thank you so much, Marion, for giving us some practical, doable steps for turning our houses into homes, places where people can walk in and feel refreshed and renewed, homes that feel like havens. And thank you, Mama, for listening today. If you want to know more about how you can transform all your spaces, be sure to grab Marion's book, Feels Like Home, transforming your space from uninspiring to uniquely yours, wherever books are sold. And be sure to join us over on Instagram and Facebook, where we'll be continuing the conversation. Find us there and tell us your best kept secrets for creating a house that you're excited to call home.